Sponsored by Primus Pharmaceuticals, the makers of Empoise Clobetasol Propionate Cream. 0.025% delivered at the lowest possible price for patients. Go to PrimusCareDirect.com to learn more about access to the Direct Pharmacy Savings Program. You're listening to the Derms and Conditions Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Derms and Conditions Podcast. I'm Jim Dolrasso, dermatologist in Las Vegas, Nevada, and always happy to present a podcast. But today I'm extra happy, I have to say, because I'm talking with uh, someone I've known for a long time, I have great respect for. We have, a, I think, a very good a professional and personal relationship. He may counter that <laughs> uh, during the discussion. It's uh, Dr. Leon Kersick, who's well known to me- uh, most of us, if not all of us, in dermatology. He's a clinical professor of dermatology at Icon School of Medicine, Mount Sinai in New York City. He has a busy private practice in Louisville, Kentucky, where he also runs a very active research center. And he's had a lot of experience in trials, many areas in dermatology, but a lot with psoriasis, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So, Leon, it's great to have you today. Thank you, Jim, and thank you for inviting me. Good to see you. Yep, always good, right? So, Leon, it's not that long right now that atopic dermatitis has been trying to steal the thunder from psoriasis in the headlines with regard to new treatments, especially systemic treatments, but also topical treatments. But there are a lot of new developments in psoriasis, systemic agents, a lot with the biologics, which you've studied and and educated about. But we can't forget about topical treatment. You know, topical treatment is still a significant part of managing these chronic inflammatory diseases. So how often would you say in your practice, you see a patient that you're only managing with topical therapy initially, or and even for a prolonged time during the management of the, their psoriasis? So you're looking at more the mild, low-end, moderate cases, uh, to mid-moderate cases of psoriasis. How often do you are you seeing that now in your practice? So, Jim, uh, honestly, you know, topical treatment is our business. As dermatologists, I see myself skin specialist, and t- topical treatment is the mainstream treatment of what we do every day. Now, using as monotherapy, using in combination with biologics, combination with <coughs> other systemic diseases, but we use topical treatment all the time. Every patient leaves my office with a topical treatment prescription. That's the bottom line because even if we start them on a biologic, you still have to give them a topical until we get that biologic going, right? Uh, so as monotherapy, uh, to, your, to answer your question, all the time because um, most of the psoriasis that we see, remember, is mild to moderate. Almost uh, 80% of all psoriasis patients have less than 2-3% body surface area, which they certainly do not qualify for systemic treatment. As you know, from third-party payers' perspective, they have to have at least 10% body surface area to get systemic treatment or some special difficult areas to treat, even if it's less than 10%, to qualify for biologic or systemic treatment. So the bottom line is most of our patients are ending up with topical treatment. 
And even when they get uh, some of these uh, systemic therapies, and we're obviously developing uh, some very impressive systemic therapies with with greater clearance rates, it's still a a minority of the patients that are getting to PASI 100, 100% clear and maintaining that, and they still have some breakthrough plaques. So I would imagine part of what you're saying is you need topical therapy for those patients too. Absolutely. And if you remember years ago, there was a study called COBRA, and that study was very unique. They were able to show the use of clobetazole spray, even with all kinds of different systemics and biologics to treat this one or two or three difficult plaques that somehow, one way or another, it didn't go away. And uh, most of those areas were on the lower extremities and legs, difficult psoriasis plaques that biologics didn't take care of. And then we ended up adding a topical, at that time, that study, we used clebatose spray, and you remember it, it worked very well. So absolutely to your point, topical treatment is still the mainstream, still a primary or secondary agent that we use all the time. I like to think like rock and roll, it's here to stay, right? And, you know, yes. the interesting thing about that COBRA study, it was real world. So it was showing what, it was a large study with a lot of patients. It was showing that this is what we deal with in the real world, which is, which is somewhat different than studies in many ways, correct? Absolutely. And I have a couple of studies recently that we did oral apremilas to show how uh, topical treatment, we used one case betamethasone uh, combination with the calcipitrion. Uh, some, at one point, I used an Ambrel plus the ointment formulation of the combination recently with apremilas and the foam combination of betamethasone and calcium, uh, uh, calcipitrion. And we saw the impact, the additional help of the topical treatments to the systemic treatments. Either it makes it it makes the systemic treatment work faster or sometimes helps maintain the systemic treatment in a better way over a year or so. So we, we I often think about oldies but goodies, but in, in this case, I'm going to ask you about some not so oldies but goodies. But, but, you know, a lot of times we have products where there's a lot of attention paid to the formulation. And I think as dermatologists, you know, if we don't understand formulations and vehicles, and I know you always talk about vehicles matter and have, have, have presented that many times and showed differences in vehicles. Uh, a couple well, a couple of formulations that I want to run by you, because I know one specifically you did a lot of work with, is the beta-methasone dipropionate, 0.05%. It's an emollient spray. And, and it was formulated very uniquely to actually deliver the, the the active agent, the corticosteroid, so that it maintained levels within the epidermis and dermis, but had less or not, I don't want to say no, but, but less systemic exposure when you look at the Fran cell assays. Can you talk about that, that formulation? Because it is, it is out there. It's twice a day for four weeks with the beta-methasone dipropionate, which is obviously a steroid that we, we're familiar with and, and use a lot. Can you talk a little bit about that formulation and the study that you did? Certainly. So I was very excited. That was several years ago. But as you know, my name goes with Vehicle Matters. I actually trademarked that. So, so vehicles do matter in dermatology and topical treatment because they can change the absorption the penetration as well as the permeation of the active product and hence 
the adverse events, the efficacy. Um, so, so the formulation is the foundation of that topical treatment. Now, let's before I go to uh, that special spray lotion formulation that at one point I used to call splash. So because it's a spray, but it's actually a lotion. Uh, and it's unique in the sense that when you think about the best vehicle for any product, and this is going to fit right into that um, platform, what you want is a higher penetration through the stratum corneum because stratum corneum is a formidable, impassable barrier, right? It's God's given job to protect us everything that comes from outside, that including the medicines. And then you want permeation. What that means is how much of the drug is staying in the skin, in the epidermis and dermis, because that's what we want. That's where the action is, right? The pathophysiology, that's where you want to hit where the disease is. And then you want minimal absorption of the product, which is basically the systemic absorption because you don't want it. Otherwise, you might as well take a cortisone pill and have it all in your blood circulation. So the bottom line is this medicine, the way it was formulated, it truly fits into that criteria. And it's easier actually to make the penetration higher with penetration enhancers. But the problem with the better the penetration enhancer is, the worse for the epidermal barrier because those are very, um, they prevent the lipid synthesis. The most of them are long fatty acid chains, alcohols that actually irritates the skin. So the uniqueness of this product comes with, um, I'm sorry, short fatty acid chains that irritates the skin. The uniqueness of this product is that it's actually, I believe it's oleic acid in it. And that's a long chain fatty acid, which is a, um, a lipid soluble. And it helps not only the penetration of the uh, product through the stratum corneum, but it also helps to permeate and it stays in the lipid environment in the uh, epidermis and dermis. And then the absorption is minimal when you look at, you mentioned, uh, to the France Chamber studies. So it's a very unique product in a bit of very unique technology. Great. I'm, I'm tapping your brain and your memory. I, I've read that 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 paper recently, incorrect, it's oleo-alcohol, that they looked at a lot of different, you looked at a lot of different penetration enhancers. And the idea was to get around, like you said, the short-chain alcohols, which tend to be irritating and actually are associated with the stinging, you know, uh, of, of the pro a lot of the products that were formulated with to give you greater potency. But the problem was more stinging and burning. And then high concentrations of propylene glycol, which were used in a lot of the augmented beta-methasone and other formulations, where you're giving 25, 35, 50, some formulations up to 70% propylene glycol, um, I hope you have a patch test clinic close by, right, uh, in that situation. So I think the idea was to circumvent some of those penetration enhancers that were not so barrier-friendly and user-friendly to the skin, you know? So, so just one point to your point, Jim. Um, you know, we have so many generic topical steroids, right? Because it's the easiest to make and it's the easiest and cheapest to test. I think some of us, still actually most of us, uh, don't realize how easy it is to create and bring to market a generic topical steroid because of the rules and regulations. All you have to show is the whitening of the skin 
on the test uh, on the uh, on your forearm and you measure that whitened area and that actually gives you because of the vasoconstriction assay that gives you that uh, comparison to the um, reference product right and that's so easy to do it how do they do it they dump a lot of penetration enhancers the cheapest easiest one is propylene glycol as you mentioned 60 70 percent so they achieve that whitening area that should be comparable to the reference product however there is absolutely no consideration to the formulation and the adverse events or the clinical efficacy when they when we do tests for the uh, generic topical steroids and you end up with a lot of irritation you're talking about the vasoconstrictor assay which has some degree of subject because of the visual assessment of the whitening and had been correlated with potency over the years. But what's interesting about this beta-methasone dipropionate emollient spray is that on the vasoconstrictor assay, it it clocked in as a mid-potency corticosteroid, but in a two-week comparative study, it showed efficacy that was essentially the same as beta-methasone dipropionate 0.05% lotion, which is a super potent corticosteroid. And I believe, you know, when we all discussed this particular formulation, we felt that it had to do with the ability of to retain the corticosteroid being active in the skin and not getting as much into the systemic circulation. That was four-week study in the clinical phase three trials, 13% body surface area with elbows and knees allowed as target areas, which really hadn't been done before. So there was a lot of thought put into that formulation, undoubtedly. Absolutely. And actually, again, that brings us the importance of the formulation, how you can change the potency. And just because you have a higher potency doesn't mean that you're going to have the HBA axis suppression or the adverse event. So it was very unique with this formulation. And if I remember correctly, they also had some data on um, uh, bony areas, on the, uh, the elbows and the knees, which are really difficult to treat. And they had very successful treatment on the um, elbows and uh, difficult areas to treat on the elbows and knees, if I remember correctly. That, that, that's some correct about one out of four patients had elbows involved and about 10 to 15% had knees and they allowed those to be target areas of assessment, which in most topical corticosteroids, even the super potent agents hadn't been done before. So they took some steps and, and they, yeah. uh, they got it out there on the line and was able to show the efficacy and also very good tolerability. So I, I think that's really important when people are thinking about in addition to having a spray formulation, which may have some advantages in, in, in certain cases, in addition, that you have something that's well tolerated, that has a profile that was well studied. It's not just, hey, we're in a vehicle that your patients are going to like the way it feels. There's some scientific data behind that, that vehicle formulation. And thank you for doing that because you were pivotal in that. So, Leon, I'd like you to hang tight right now while we get in a word from our sponsor, and we'll get back to this great conversation. Sponsored by Primus Pharmaceuticals, the makers of Cernivo, Betamethasone, Depropionate Spray, 0.05%, a spray lotion formula delivered at the lowest possible price for patients. Go to PrimusCareDirect.com to learn more about access to the Direct Pharmacy Savings Program. There's another formulation uh, that is interesting because... We inherit 
these a lot of these products down the line. And for example, uh, clobetazole propionate, 0.05%, twice a day, super potent steroid, a lot of formulations. You mentioned one with the spray earlier. We, we understand the efficacy, especially in treating plaque psoriasis, but we accept some, some of the things from before without really thinking about them. And one particular challenge to that 0.05% is a 0.025% cream formulation, like the spray, also oil and water, so water-based, no alcohol, no propylene glycol. Uh, and they were actually able to show that they had efficacy in, in, in a maximum use study. We, these patients had a significant amount of body surface area, close, 20, about 27% range from anywhere from 18 to 36, 37%, even though it wasn't powered for efficacy, they compared it to the 0.05% clobetazole propionate and showed similar efficacy in patients with more extensive application area than we would use, but it was a maximum use study. And and so it brings me back to what you were saying earlier. We, we really have to look at formulations because you have let half the strength of the clobetazole, lower serum levels, threefold higher HPA axis suppression with the 0.05% clobetazole than with this 0.025%, but you're getting comparable efficacy with giving less drug. So how often does that come? I know I said a lot, but but that was all supported by the data with that formulation and it's all published. Uh, how often does it come to mind when you're utilizing a super potent topical corticosteroid, how much you're using and how long you're using it in terms of some of the potential side effects, the serum levels, uh, the HP axis suppression? You know, we don't talk about it a lot, but in the clinical setting, how often does that come to mind for you? So really, um, we use in US, we use a lot of clobetazole for our psoriasis patient. It's ironic that in Europe, uh, I just came back from Barcelona from a meeting, and in Europe, they are much more cautious and much more aware of the superpotency steroid side effects. And it's not the clinical impact that when you have high HPA axis suppression or absorption levels, but mostly maybe topically, the topical adverse events are more concerning to me. And I have seen some disasters with the thinning of the skin that when you touch the patient, actually the, the skin bleeds, it's like cigarette paper thin. So it is possible, it can happen. So we have to be aware. And it's almost everybody's in the mind, in the back of their mind, when you think about the clebetazole. So if you have a product that you have the high uh, half concentration with equal efficacy, why not to use it? It certainly does make sense. And this is the only time we have such a product. The only other one that I know of, it's for acne with the tazaretin, right? Now that has a also a similar uh, half than the less original concentration in a new formulation. Again, that proves us that really the formulation is the maker of the breaker of that active. Right. So once again, trademarked by Leon, Dr. Leon Kersick, vehicles matter, right? <laughs> That's like Pat Riley, uh, you know, trademarking the term three-peat, you know, when the Bulls won those three yeah. championships. And then, and then if they, if there's a t-shirt that says three-peat, Pat Riley's going to get a royalty <laughs> check from that. 
<laughs> I don't know if I've seen any Vehicle Matters t-shirts, but maybe maybe you want to consider that. It's a good idea, that. Jim. I think I'm going to start it. There you I go. Like it. There you go. All right. And I didn't even ask for a cut, Leon. But anyway, going back to what we were saying earlier, you know, with this clobetazole 0.025% formulation, it goes back to what you were saying earlier with the emollient spray with the made of metamethasone dipropionate, right? Um, which is for approved from mild to moderate. This clobetazole is moderate to severe in terms of in adults with plaque psoriasis, both twice a day. But they did something interesting with the vehicle. They didn't crank crank it up with propylene glycol like you would think they would to make that 0.025% uh, get a kick in efficacy. There had been a, a fluosinonide, right, uh, formulation where they used a different percentage, but they cranked it up with, pro right. with propylene glycol, almost about 70% propylene glycol. What they used in this formulation with the clobetazole 0.025% was a an excipient that we both know about because it was used with dapsone uh, when when dapsone was was made to be able to solubilize it and to get it to penetrate but also be non-irritating and low risk of allogenicity and that's that diethylene glycol monolethyl ether the d the d d g m d e yeah, yeah right and and they utilized it in this formulation to be able to also create, it helps create an intracutaneous reservoir because it's miscible uh, within the stratum corneum and within the lipids, and it actually reduces the penetration and increases the solubility, and it's not irritating, uh, and it has a negligible allergenicity. So it goes back to that same principle that you were talking about with the first formulation we discussed, being able to get the corticosteroid at the site where we need it and not where we don't want it. So it all adds up. I mean, it adds up with both of these formulations. What do you think about that diethylene glycol monolethyl ether, the DEG? So, you know, ironically, they are very behind in medicinal chemistry in the sense that what excipients are we using in our formulations for prescription products. Actually, that excipient has been used in cosmetic industry for many, many, many years. When you look at a lot of different L'Oreal products, a lot of cosmetics, they actually have that and they benefited from it. And I believe Dapson, uh, topical Dapson at that time, Allergan was the first company somehow uh, got into it and used it and they were that's how they were able to solubilize and stabilize Dapson in a topical formulation which you know we had Dapson for many many years older than me and you but still we we couldn't um, we couldn't stabilize it and solubilize in a topical formulation so finally they were able to do it so uh, and then now with this product that uh, and these two products I think the um, the um, Clobetazole half percent, and then the uh, the betametazone lotion came from a from the same Indian company when they were able to do it. So they actually, I have seen their labs in Hyderabad, India, and they had a very nice, really technology for these topical formulations. I wish we can use it the same technology for other topicals. Well, it progressed in the sense that they started to use pharmaceutical grade 
of You're that right. D-E-G-E-E that made a big difference in terms of all the characteristics that are favorable in a topical formulation and being able to avoid the penetration enhancers and other additives to try to increase the penetration, which at the time served us well, but we've advanced to be able to do a better job with it. It's a clobetazole zero point oh two five percent it's half the concentration percent you know that that we typically use and so leon i want to thank you um a lot of people uh, know about your discussions and presentations on biologics but you've certainly done a lot more than that and myself and the rest of us in dermatology are very thankful for all the work that you do thanks for being here today very kind of you thank you so much jim thanks Thank you for listening to this episode of Derms and Conditions. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcasts at fred.health. And most importantly, if you like this episode, subscribe to the Derms and Conditions podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Thanks for joining us. Sponsored by Primus Pharmaceuticals, makers of Empoise, Clobetasol, Propionate Cream, 0.025%, and Cernevo, Betamethasone, the Propionate Spray, 0.05%. To learn more about access for all patients, no matter what type of insurance, at the lowest possible price, go to PrimusCareDirect.com.